You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers. I've got a special guest on today's show. There's no crossover on this Thursday as it is a bye week. So I'll be chatting with Akash Anavarathan, who covers the 49ers in multiple places and is a must follow for 49ers fans and brings a lot to the discussion of what's going on in San Francisco. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Email the show, LockedOn49ers at Gmail. And of course, you can find this podcast, just like every show on the Locked On Podcast Network, including the Peacock and Williamson NFL show, which is co-hosted by me and former NFL scout Matt Williamson daily. You can find all of the podcasts on the network everywhere that you find podcasts. How about that? My guest today is Akash Anavarathan. You might know him from Twitter at Akash Anav. He's doing things at Niners Nation with the podcasting. He's doing things uh, writing about the 49ers at 4th and 9 with a good group of folks over there. Akash, man, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Brian? Doing great. Can you explain the new situation with the Niners Nation podcast you're doing? Yeah, of course. So uh, Rob Guerrera is the, the podcast producer there at Niners Nation, and he has a, a podcast lineup basically uh, where there's different folks, uh, you know, with a podcast every day. So I am co-hosting a podcast with Kyle Posey, who runs uh, the written side of Niners Nation, a good friend of mine, uh, called The Shannon Plan, comes out every Wednesday. And so uh, it's more of like a film-based pod. We usually rewatch like the All-22 on Tuesday. And then based off of that and uh, analytics and whatnot, we kind of give our takes on Wednesday. So that's kind of the deal. Uh, it, it's neat because you just get different angles, and different opinions on a daily basis. So, uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be a part of that and uh, as, as well as write uh, at 4th and 9. Have those film sessions gotten more, gotten more sad and more disappointing as you've gone through this season? Uh, it's painful. I mean, when the season started and the team was healthy, it was legitimately fun to watch the all 22, uh, whenever it dropped. Now it's like, Oh my God, Nick Mullins and backup running backs. And it's just, it's not as interesting to watch because the team isn't executing like they did last season or even earlier in the season. So it's a lot more pointing out flaws, pointing out what they missed. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. And you know, what's crazy about that is there was the statistic here from Ben Baldwin, who, uh, does a lot of analytic stuff with football and, uh, and a bunch of fun graphs, and he runs the numbers, and it showed expected versus actual yards after the catch on an ex- expected um, per-completion basis for, for offenses. So passing game, expected versus actual yards after the catch EPA. And uh, you would expect a lot of the things that you see on this list, but Nick Mullins is pretty far up there. So things are getting schemed open for Nick Mullins. It's the... it's it's a lot of Mullins not finding other plays that are open, right? Which is which is holding back the passing game right now. It's not so much Shanahan's yeah. scheme that is failing. Yeah, I you know there are people that are quick to point out Kyle Shanahan's play calling, and obviously the play calling is dependent on the execution. And when you have backups just littered all over the field, whether it's along the interior of the offensive line, whether it's in the backfield, whether it's with your wideouts, whether it's with your quarterback the execution isn't going to be as good as the, 
you know, the play that's uh, designed is, is to be had. So that's been the biggest issue. And yeah, the, the chart that you're referring to, Nick Mullins is up there right next to Patrick Mahomes. So Andy <laughs> yeah. Reid and Kyle Shanahan are doing a fantastic job designing open plays for their receivers. Nick Mullins clearly in a completely different stratosphere than Patrick Mahomes just isn't hitting uh, as many plays. I get, and I've talked a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo on the pod, and I want to talk offensive line more specifically here and Tack McKinley, the newest addition to the 49ers. But uh, I guess the elephant in the room and uh, pr- pretty much everybody I talk to for the next couple of months, this subject's going to come up. So let's breach it now and then we can leave it behind. And uh, <laughs> I, I assume you heard Kyle Shanahan's comments about Jimmy Garoppolo this week, talking about that he had hoped that uh, he'd expect was his word that Jimmy Garoppolo would be the quarterback in 2021. He went in a little harder, I think, on KBR Wednesday morning, talking about how when he was a kid, the same thing was going on with Steve Young, and people were trying to run him out of town after a 14-2 and season, and it just comes with the territory, and fans are, are fickle, and fans, fans will be that way, and the media feeds off of that, too, and, and wants to sell newspapers. Mm-hmm. Or In the 90s, they sold newspapers, and now they, they sell clicks. <laughs> sell podcasts. Right, yeah. yeah. So, and, and you know, it helps our business a little bit. It's something that, that is, a, is a super hot topic, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but do you have a, a really strong feeling either way about Jimmy Garoppolo, if he should be around next year? Uh, I would lean no, that he shouldn't be back. Um, you know, in 2019, when it's hard to criticize a quarterback that leads, you know, a team to a 13 and three record, you know, a Super Bowl appearance, all that kind of stuff. But when you just watch Jimmy Garoppolo play, you ignore sort of the, the stats and the completion percentage and the yards per attempt and all that kind of stuff that highlights how good he was. You see that the, the process that Jimmy Garoppolo was using on the field, whether it was pre-snap reads, whether it was going through the reads uh, when he was, you know, in the pocket um, or just his throwing motion. A lot of that stuff is still the same between, you know, 2019 and 2020. The difference this season is, you know, the offensive line hasn't been playing as well. Uh, Running backs have been injured, so the running game isn't thriving like it was. Obviously, the defense is nowhere near it was last season. And so when the things around Jimmy Garoppolo have slightly deteriorated, and obviously he was hurt, um, there for a few games, the success has dropped back and it wasn't at 2019 level. And when you pay a quarterback 20, you know, $27 million, uh, you expect him to elevate talent around him and not be so dependent on all the pieces around him. And just given that, and given the fact that, um, you know, that the 49ers have an out in his contract, they can get away with, I think only like $3 million in dead money. Uh, the salary cap is dropping probably next season or it's, you know, staying. Uh, it's definitely not exceeding where it's at right now. Just given all of that, you could see the 49ers just going a different route um, and go for a younger, cheaper quarterback who can um, give you similar type output uh, compared to Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and that obviously is only furthered with the rumors that, you know, Adam Peters was at uh, Boise State a few weeks ago watching Zach Wilson uh, Adam Peters and Martin Mayhew have been at Ohio State watching Justin Fields. So they've been, you know, at Alabama watching Mac Jones. They've, you know, they're doing the full tour, looking at all the young quarterbacks. They're obviously going to have a high-ish draft pick, probably between, you know, 8 to 14. So they'll be they'll be in the striking range for quarterback. Just given everything that's happened, I can certainly see that being the route that they go. So it sounds like you don't believe that there's a run in the 49ers season here in, in the next uh, month and a half? Uh, no, I don't think so. As much as Cal believes it, and if you listen to him yesterday on his press conference, he legitimately believes it. He even pointed out the fact that his 2012 Washington 
football team uh, had a different name at the time. They were three and six going into the bye. They, you know, pulled off, I think, seven straight wins. They were 10 and six, won the division. And I think they hosted the Seahawks that year in the first round and they lost. But he's expecting that the Niners will go on a similar type run. Big difference. That team had rookie of the year. Um, you know, I think he won it. Uh, RG3. Robert Griffin III. Yeah. RG3, exactly. They had offensive weapons. They had a you know, decent defensive personnel. This team does not have that. They have a tougher schedule. I just don't see them winning more than like two or three games the remainder of the season. And if the team's not in playoff contention, they're not going to bring Jimmy Garoppolo or George Kittle or, um, you know, those type of guys back for, you know, meaningless games at the end of the season. All right, let's get into the offensive line. Let's talk Tack McKinley, the newest 49er, another edge rusher, some more depth at that position that's that's been really killed by injury in 2020 more with Akash Anavarathan coming up on Lockdown 49ers. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I've talked about it before. I watch all day long football. It is my job, and I uh, take notes, and I watch every single game that I can, and then I go back later in the week and watch every single bit of games that I missed and stuff that um, I want to go back and watch with the 49ers. So I need a lot of refreshment Sundays. And Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Since we're talking offense, let's stay on that side of the ball and talk about the offensive line. And you tweeted a few things out this week that I thought were interesting. And uh, when it comes to O-line play, there, there's so much that goes into it. Who's playing quarterback? Who's yeah. calling the plays? What's the guy next to you doing? It's hard to isolate each of the five individuals and there have been some injuries on the 49ers offensive line, specifically at center, but it's been, um, I think it's been away from the center position and in center hasn't been amazing, but early on it was okay. And uh, I think Brunskill's done an okay job filling in there recently. Uh, not great, but, um, four out of the five players have been what they expected coming into the season. And overall, when you look at that offensive line, if you just look at it as one unit, it has been subpar for the 49ers so far. Yep, 100% agree. And, you know, coming into the season, um, I thought that the offensive line would be as good or even slightly better than they were last season. I think, you know, at left tackle, you and I agreed that they had an upgrade over Joe Staley with Trent Williams. Obviously, he missed the year, but he looks, you know, fantastic. And at the other positions, they largely stayed the same. Obviously, brought back Lagan Tomlinson. They brought back Mike McGlinchey. Um, they, you know, put Dan Brunskill at right guard and they rolled with Ben Garland at center um, who's had injuries. And so they've had to shuffle a little bit, but it's just been a struggle, um, you know, among the five guys to consistently both not only in the passing game, but also in the running game, they've struggled. And one of the things you, you and I touched base about yesterday, uh, I like to use football outsiders adjusted line yards um, to sort of evaluate uh, the performance of the offensive line. So what Football Outsiders does is they basically take, um, you know, how many yards a running back gains on a certain play, and they will weight it depending on how far the running back goes. So say the running back is, like, stopped at the line of scrimmage or loses yards, that gets weighted more because, you know, the offensive block, the line didn't block as well. 
And so it's a good metric of like, okay, how much is the offensive line really blocking for the running back versus the running back, you know, making plays. And so in the Kyle Shanahan era between, you know, 2017 and 2019, uh, the 49ers were always in the top 10 of adjusted line yards this season, they're 25th. And, you know, early on in the season, I monitored this kind of week to week. They were in the bottom five for the majority of the season. And then between, you know, the Rams game, the Patriots game, it sort of started to creep up. And so I thought, okay, the offensive line is starting to run block a little better. Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel starting to scheme up better run plays. Maybe this is when they'll start to hit their stride. And it's come back to earth these last few weeks, um, especially this past weekend. I think they only had, what, 49 rushing yards on 25 attempts. And you go back and watch the game. It's not like just the same player is missing blocks, whether it's, you know, Dan Brunskill at center or, you know, McKivitz at right guard. It's like it's a different player on every play. And, you know, Kyle Juszczyk's missing blocks. Um, Ross Dwelly, oh, my God. Ross Dwelly couldn't stay in front of uh, anyone you put in front of him. Um, and it's they're just missing assignments. They're missing blocks. And, you know, when you don't have Raheem Mostert or even Matt Breida from last season who have, like, the top-end speed to be able to burst through those holes, they're just not able to gain yards. You have Jerick McKinnon who uh, just doesn't have the same second-level burst or Jermichael Hasty, who, you know, is an undrafted free agent rookie for a reason. Uh, he has some, like, juice, but he doesn't have the same sort of vision or burst that those other guys provided. And you combine those two things, and the 49ers' run game is just completely out of whack so far this season. And that's been pretty concerning because, you know, they're a run-based team. When they're able to run the ball successfully, uh, the play-action game starts to work. The quarterbacks uh, get, you know, easier throws to make. And the 49ers' offense isn't built you know, in second and long and third and long, they're not mm. meant to be a drop back passing team. They just, they just won't be successful. And they've been sort of in that sort of formula in all of their losses. And it's, it comes right back to uh, the offensive line. When you look at the tackles and, and obviously talent wise, and at this point in their careers, you know, just physically, it was an upgrade going from old Joe Staley to somewhat old, but a little bit younger and supremely talented Trent Williams at left tackle. But I think the 49ers are definitely missing something in the leadership category. And they lost a big chunk of leadership on both sides of the ball with DeForest Buckner and Joe Staley. And I think, you know, on paper, you looked at those losses and you thought, oh, they're going to replace one guy with Trent Williams, who's an all pro. You're going to replace the other guy with a first round draft pick, one of the best D tackles in the draft. They're going to be fine there. But I think they've missed some other things that are not even on the field. Do you think that seeped into the rest of the line? A little bit. Yeah. I, th I think the leadership point that you bring up is really good because Joe Staley was one of the veteran voices in the locker room. He held a lot of weight. And if you listen to Trent Williams, you know, post game, a lot of the times, or even, you know, during the week when he speaks with the media, he will come off and sort of not blame like other players or blame coaching, but he will have these subtle comments <laughs> yeah. that make you wonder, like he multiple times this season, he said, you know, Hey, the, the opponent or the defense through defensive fronts that we didn't prepare for that week. Like we didn't see that on film. And so he said that this week, he said that about the saints game, right? I, he, my, he said that about the saints game. He said that about one other game earlier. In the year, my ears perked remember. up when I heard that. I was saying, well, we, what did he just say? Is he calling out his coaching staff that they're Kyle yeah. is not going to like that at all. Yeah, exactly. And even, I think there was one of the games he gave up a few sacks and he was calling out, you know, um, 
sort of the grading system. And he was like, you know, internally, I, w- I only counted for like half a sack. Yeah. But you guys think it's multiple or whatever. And it was like, eh, it's not what you expect to hear from like a leader, right? right. And Just also I had watched that, that game and I, and I watched it again when he talked about that one. I was like, nah, there's at least two on you, dude. Like, you know, you got to own your mistakes. Yeah. And like, he's really good and he's really talented. And he's got a pretty high grade now when you, uh, you know, cumulatively over the course of the season, maybe that calling him out with the bad grades was a wake up call for him when he did have a bad stretch, but he had a bad game and that was legit. And he can say that it was only half a sack on him if he wants, but that wasn't a great game for him. Right. Agreed. And then the other guy on the other side that catches a lot of flack is Mike McGlinchey. And I understand why he has these like viral blunders where when he whiffs on a block, especially in pass protection, he ends up on his like butt. Yeah, he got bull rushed by Cam Jordan against the Saints, and that was one where he's like, he had to rewind it and be like, "Wow, what did I just see?" And and, and he's too good of a player for that to be happening. And it's it's a little bit frustrating for me to watch. I'm sure it is for 49ers fans to see your quarterback get hit or see a you know. And he's been so good against the run, but he's taken a step back, I think, against the pass. And uh, his grades aren't good overall. But yeah, you're right. It's the viral plays, the highlight. You know, yeah. it's like the NBA guy who gets crossed up and falls down. It's that bad of a look yep. for him sometimes all by himself out there at offensive tackle and everybody sees it. And a lot of people have pointed to him getting maybe a little bit lighter. I don't know if that's it, but man, he's getting bold rushed, especially that's the thing that worries me is he can't anchor against yep. some of these pass rushers. And um, it's not a great look and he definitely has to fix something there. Exactly. And I'm no like offensive line expert or anything like that, but you hit the nail on the head. It's like when he gets bull rushed or, you know, someone brings power right to him, he, you know, falls back or he doesn't have the balance. He doesn't have the base, so to speak, to hold up against that. And to his credit, you know, if if there's, you know, 70 plays in the game, you know, 60 to 65 plays, he's holding up, whether it's in pass pro or, or run, run blocking, it's those three or four misses where it goes viral. He looks bad and he gives up a sack that we're going to remember, obviously, and they cause some, you know, a game-changing mistake. And that's the stuff he has to clean up. So I understand why he's frustrated, but he's also got to, you know, correct those errors. Do you think there's something to what Trent Williams said, though, about Kyle Shanahan maybe not preparing for, or not have them, not having them prepared for some some look that they might see or not? Maybe, maybe, you know, and that'll happen, I think, in, in any level of football. But in the NFL, there's really good coordinators on the other side they're going to try things and try to throw something at you that you didn't prepare for so the adjustments and I think that has been one of the the criticisms for both Sala's defense and for Kyle Shanahan is where are the halftime adjustments did you see that as a as a criticism that is fair for Kyle Shanahan uh yes so to answer your first question uh, Kyle Shanahan brought this up and I was thinking about it too uh the 49ers lead the league in 21 personnel and obviously when they use 21 personnel, it's with Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, and another running back. And so I was thinking, okay, there's not many teams that use a fullback and kind of run a similar offense to the 49ers. Like if you think of Sean McVay and the Rams, they don't they don't use a fullback, um, or even some of the other systems you know that have are Shanahanian, uh, so to speak, don't use a fullback. And so to his point, he's like, okay, when we look up film for you know defenses that we're going to go up against it's not really the same because our offense is a little different and, you know, we use a fullback and, and whatnot. So it's a little bit harder to prepare, but that being said, um, I think there is some validity to um, them just coming out, maybe underprepared. And then the second thing you said, yes, the adjustments thing is extremely frustrating where 
sometimes it'll take like an entire game for them to change up something. The lack of halftime adjustments is kind of worrying, especially with Robert Sala defensively. Uh, we saw that with like Brian Allen um, in the Miami game. Like, you know, you or I could point out like after one drive that Brian Allen isn't cutting it at corner. Yeah. I mean, that was a bad it, idea even before that opening drive started. That was one of those things where right. it's like, where's Tarverius Moore? He's on your roster. He's played cornerback before. Put him out there. Don't just pull a guy off the street and start him at corner. That's that's pretty insane. Right. Right. Or or even uh, starting Tarverius Moore and Jimmy Ward at safeties. I, I feel like a lot of us have been asking, like, why aren't those your, your two starting safeties? And they used Marcel Harris, you know, game after game. And finally, this past week, they, you know, used Marcel Harris kind of as a dime linebacker yes. instead of Aziz Alshire or Flanagan Foles. And they put Tarverius Moore at safety. And that seems to be more of a natural fit. So it's like, OK, why didn't you guys come up with that, you know? A, a few games ago, like right. why wait so long? So I love yeah, that. The adjustment the thing's also uh, a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I love that look too, with the uh, the big nickel look and having a, a semi linebacker look with the um, with the with Marcel Harris being more of a box safety and, and staying close to the line of scrimmage because that's his strength. He got beat over the top yep. a couple of times in the game before. And then you have Tarverius Moore with all his speed playing over the top. And then Jimmy Ward can do a little bit of everything. And almost like the CJ is actually the most similar to what the Saints do on defense with Marcus Williams being the Tarverius Moore role. And then you have um, Marcel Harris playing that that money backer role that we've seen Malcolm Jenkins play, and then you have C.J. Yeah. Gardner Johnson, which is is a guy who can play a little corner. He could play outside. He could play deep safety. He could play a lot of different roles. And, and I think Jimmy Ward can do a lot of those things. So utilize the talent you have, and then also change up your corners from time to time with who's playing the field, who's playing the boundary, so a team can't just line up and say, "Well, this is the matchup I want, and I know exactly where you guys are going to be all the time." Yeah, so actually the interesting thing this past week, I went back and watched. So they they actually bailed on the field and boundary scheme for Jason Brett and Emmanuel Mosley. They actually played, I think, on the same side of the field. So they both, you know, depending on where the ball was, they both played the field and the boundary. Um, and I think that's in preparation for Richard Sherman, who wrote, so that when Sherman returns, he'll play the field corner and Verrett will play the boundary. And up until now, Verrett had been playing the field corner. So I think it was to give him some looks at that position so that when Sherman comes back, they can uh, kind of go back to where it was, you know, earlier in the season. Yeah. Or uh, that, I'm thinking thought. they might go back to just left, right anyway, and have, cause Sherman's always been that left cornerback his entire career. And I'm sure he feels more comfortable there. So that'll be interesting to see if they just go left, right, or if they go field boundary and which one's playing, which so, um, and, and, and Sherman's such a good boundary corner too. I might go the other way with it and have Sherman be closer to the boundary and have, red with his athleticism and his uh, lateral speed playing more of the field but uh you could definitely interchange them and, and i just have to change the looks so the offense doesn't know exactly what you're going to do every time yeah that's a good point they they were given you know offenses the same look and you know against seattle against green bay uh emmanuel mosley faced way too many targets yes. against dk metcalf and uh Devontae adams which, which makes sense right if you're an offensive coordinator you put your best receiver on the 49ers you know worst defensive back if you were choosing between brett and mosley you'd rather go up against mosley right so and, and that's that not even sense. anything on mosley it's just tough if you're going to get targeted by two of the right. the best receivers in the nfl right now those are just tough matchups back to back and he had to handle it every single time and and they knew what they were going to be going against so uh yeah interesting with the adjustments there and i think that really helped especially early in the game we saw those adjustments 
help because they were different. And maybe the Saints weren't expecting what they saw, just like the 49ers might not have expected what they saw. And it was in the 49ers' favor early that game. Which brings me to one more question about Kyle Shanahan's offense. What exactly does it need at quarterback or otherwise? And we'll get into the 49ers' newest pass rusher, Tack McKinley, former Atlanta Falcon, former Cincinnati Bengal for a day. Coming up, Locked On 49ers. Do you think Kyle Shanahan's offense, like what does it need? If we're talking about a new quarterback, is he does he need to go more new school and have somebody like he had with RG3 who he didn't want and he wanted to move away from that to someone, you know, he, he preferred Kirk Cousins over RG3. Yeah. Do you think he needs to yeah. go toward, because we've seen that be successful and he's a really good coordinator and, and he can... He can give a quarterback wide open windows, so why not utilize the thing? If you're scheming up open players underneath and over the middle of the field, then have a quarterback that can get deliver those passes because they're the easiest ones anyway, but then he can do the other things for you that has an arm that can go deep, that can make some plays with his legs too. Now you have a little bit of everything going on. If all you can do is this really narrow band of things well that you're already good at scheming up you're not really getting any extra benefits from your quarterback and I think that's what we're seeing a lot with the 49ers offense is everything schemed up for Shanahan and it's it's almost oversimplified in a way that it's like here's this one thing and this is what this one thing this play is designed to do it's not like hey here's one two three it's look this is we're gonna get this or this so you're gonna hit this guy on this if it's that and if it's this you're gonna hit this guy it's very simple and I, I think we've seen the mistakes from Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins be too similar and that yeah. leads me to that's Shanahan more so than it's even Garoppolo and Mullins in a lot of cases with some of those interceptions, right? Yeah, it was funny. I, I tweeted this out earlier today. I think the, between Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo, they have 11 interceptions. And I think that's second in the NFL, uh, just behind Carson Wentz and ahead of Russell Wilson, surprisingly. And if you look at um, those interceptions, and I remember uh, ESPN's Mina Kimes uh, had a graphic which basically put uh, like interception rate on the y-axis versus average depth of depth of throw uh, on like the x-axis, and uh, at the time at least, Jimmy Garoppolo had I think like the third lowest uh, a dot, but he had like the fifth highest interception rate, and so it was alarming that yes. someone that throws short passes is also you know turning the ball over. You expect that if the passes are shorter and you know uh, quicker that you're completing more of those passes, right? Like a Drew Brees, for instance, but that wasn't necessarily the case. And you see the same thing with Nick Mullins and, you know, the egregious uh, interceptions where he doesn't see the underneath linebacker. Jimmy Garoppolo did a lot of that last season. And, you know, uh, some people, you know, we have short-term memory. And so we forget that those things happened in 2019. But I was like recently watching the the Vikings 49ers playoff game. uh, And Jimmy Garoppolo had, you know, I think he had the pick to Eric Kendricks. That looked eerily similar to the pick that Nick Mullins threw uh, against uh, against the Saints this past weekend. So I don't know if that's an indictment on Kyle Shanahan or just his quarterbacks. I would lean more on the quarterbacks. But, um, you know, to answer your original question, kind of about what should Kyle, you know, look for out of his quarterback position, I think in 2020 in the NFL, your quarterback has to be mobile has to have some level of mobility to be able to extend plays. You don't need to be, you know, Lamar Jackson and, or just Kyler Murray, someone that can actually legitimately use their legs. Uh, but someone that can just extend plays, scramble, move around in the pocket. Cause def- defenses are getting better and better. Pass rushers, pass rushers, excuse me, are getting better and better. And it, I think it's difficult to expect tackles and offensive linemen to be able to consistently pass block for five, six seconds against these 
elite pass rushers. So what does that mean? You know, if the play breaks down, I'm going to need a quarterback that makes plays outside of Kyle Shanahan's schemed up system. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, CJ Beathard, these guys, at least since 2019, haven't been able to provide that consistently. Jimmy Garoppolo obviously gives you uh, some and from time to time, but it's just not consistent enough. Uh, we've seen that when pressure gets there, when plays break down, mo- most of the time it ends up in sacks or turnovers or throwaways. And ideally, I think Kyle would like someone um, that can extend those plays and, you know, make throws on the move uh, outside the pocket, you know, kind of what we see on Sundays with a lot of the quarterbacks, whether it's the Josh Allens, the Russell Wilsons, the Mahomes, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be that level, but needs to have some level of mobility more than uh, what the 49ers have on their roster currently. Yeah, and with Jimmy G too, and obviously the 49ers have won so many games with him playing quarterback, but he's got to be healthy and he's got to be in there. He's missed half his games so far in his career with the yeah. 49ers and he missed starts with the Patriots too. And, and the thing that's most telling to me about this season is just seeing uh, Kyle Shanahan's face and his his growing like frustration with the season and visible frustration <laughs> on the sideline and when he was doing his latest conference call with reporters like I felt legitimately bad for the guy just the look on his face is like man this has been a rough season on him as, as bad as it's been for 49ers fans I mean times 10 for Kyle Shanahan himself who's running this whole show uh yeah that that was my takeaway and my favorite thing now when I watch the all 22 is I will look for the big play misses so in, against the Saints game it was the CJ Beathard uh, underthrow, which it's hard to blame him because that was his first throw and he's expected to throw like 65 yards. Yeah. But you watch Kyle Shanahan on the sideline, he's pissed. And, um, you know, there was the play against the Rams where use check around the Y leak concept. Kyle Shanahan's favorite go to big play concept. Use check is leaking down the, you know, the 49er sideline. And you see Kyle Shanahan with, you know, he's throwing up the touchdown sign. Yeah. I don't know if use check was going to score. <laughs> But Jimmy obviously overthrows him, and Kyle's just super frustrated on the sideline. And you see a lot of that. And the other thing is not just Kyle. You also see his receivers frustrated. Like Brandon Ayuk has visibly been upset mm-hmm. multiple times this season. Uh, even, in the, even in the Patriots game when he caught that deep ball from Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo led him too far down the sideline. That should have been a touchdown. Uh, I think Jeff Wilson scored, but he got hurt on the next play. Brandon Ayuk on that play after he caught the ball actually throws the ball. Because I think he was frustrated because it should have been a touchdown. So there's been a lot of that brewing that, you know, if you were just watching like the broadcast, you don't necessarily see. But if you go back and you watch like the All-22, you can see that the players around the quarterbacks are starting to be more frustrated because they're also losing on top of the, you know, poor offensive play. It's not like last year where they were racking up wins and, you know, winning is the the best cure. You can see it on the, the game, the broadcast tape too, when they replayed it in slow motion on the last – Mullins interception against the Saints in the background it, right behind the play is a little bit blurry but it was Kyle Shanahan with his play sheet on the sideline and he was so mad and it's it's just funny he's like he's he's like he's over it man he's over this season he wants to move on and I I think he's having a hard time trying to project like confidence at this point uh, even though he still believes in himself and he believes in his team and it sounds like he thinks that they might go on a run or at least have the opportunity to go on the run, or at least he's good at telling himself that and telling his team that, you know, they, they could make the playoffs, but man, it's, it's looking at the standings, looking at the teams in front of them. It (laughs) is a a very, very low chance that the 49ers will be able to pull that off. They added some reinforcements though. What is your take on 
the newest pass rusher the 49ers have added, and I haven't seen official official reports yet, but they definitely claimed him and had him for a physical, and it looks like, judging by his social media, and he's an interesting follow on social media, Tack McKinley has passed his physical and will be headed to the 49ers after his COVID testing. Yeah, I think it's a great addition. Uh, obviously a former first-round pick. He has all the physical tools. Um, he had you know eight sacks, both in 2017 and 2018. In 2018, I would argue that that's his best season. He was, I think, 14th in PFS pass rushing productivity, which is kind of a metric that takes into account sacks, pressures, hurries, all that, all that fun stuff. And so he, he was a legitimately good pass rusher on that Falcons defense in, in 18. Um, and so he comes to the 49ers. He hasn't had a good season in 2020. He's only played a total of 80 snaps. Uh, he wasn't in favor with sort of the coaching staff and kind of front office. He was, you know, tweeting about uh, they should have traded me and all this kind of stuff. So he fell out of favor. Obviously, Falcons kind of a losing team as well. Um, and so he comes here. He gets a fresh start with Chris Kosarek, the defensive line coach, who I think if anyone in the NFL is able to squeeze anything out of defensive line talent, it's Kosarek. Um, And he kind of fits this sort of power rusher mold. Um, he's uh, – I don't think he's quite going to be as, you know, uh, bend around the edge or anything like that. He's more of a power rusher. I think he's a little bit more stiff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I expect him at least over these next six games. Uh, Luckily, because this is the bye week and with all the COVID protocols, he should be able to play next week. So I'm assuming the physical goes well and whatnot. So I expect good things from him. Uh, He will immediately be able to spell Eric Armstead, who has been playing uh, at – you know, on the edge, which isn't his natural position. So at least it'll allow Armstead to move inside. Probably Hyder and McKinley would be your edge rushers. And, you know, that's a decent, uh, you know, pass rushing duo given all the injuries. And the other thing with McKinley is he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So assuming he has a really good season uh, and he leaves as a free agent, he gets a deal somewhere else. The 49ers will get a compensatory pick in 2022 for that. Uh, assuming he plays well enough and the 49ers are able to re-sign him. Now you have depth when Nick Bosa returns and whoever else uh, is on that roster is on the defensive line. So I think the 49ers are kind of in a win-win spot here. It's a lower-risk, higher-reward move. Um, I'm a fan, and, you know, I remember when he got drafted, He, I think he was the one that had, like, the big picture of his mom. So yeah, seems like a genuine guy, um, and we'll see what he can do. No, uh, I think you nailed it there with the scouting report, and I saw a lot of similar stuff. He's he's a straight-line rusher, so in this scheme, maybe they can get uh, the best out of him. And we've even seen um, their Jordan Willis, the latest uh, player that the 49ers brought into that position, have more success in his couple games with the Niners than he's had all season. And he's a similar guy where there's some stiffness there, but he has some other traits, and, and everything's very explosive in a straight line. And the way they put that wide nine out there, and, and as Chris Kucerich used to say, you put him on the train tracks and have him head toward the quarterback through the offensive line and sort of play the run to the pass. And and I think that will suit Tack McKinley well. I don't I I would sort of say pump the brakes on on super high expectations that you're getting a first-round yeah. pass rusher here from Tack McKinley, but I think he's probably certainly... Uh, you know, after Kerry Hyder and Eric Armstead, your your best option at defensive end if he is healthy. I don't know how you don't pass a physical with one team and pass it with another. That's a that's a mystery to me. So maybe he's still hurt. So we'll see if he's ready to go out there after the bye. But yeah, it's a no lose situation. You either get a cheap depth piece next year, you lose nothing if he's nothing for anybody, or he signs with somebody else. You get a comp pick. 
Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't cost them anything. I think it caught, it's going to cost them like $700,000 uh, to have them for the rest of the season. I think they're up to like $3.5 million in salary cap space after they traded away Quan Alexander. They cut down to Pettis. So they, ha- they made the necessary moves, and I think this position is a bigger need. And you, I thought the defensive line in um, against the Saints had their best game of the season, at least from an effort perspective. Yes, absolutely. And Kyle Shanahan mentioned those guys are tired. They've played, what, 10 straight games without a bye. Um, they're obviously thin, just given all the injuries. So just getting another body in there, uh, you know, I think that's the reason they went and traded out for Jordan Willis. Obviously now attacking Kinley. Uh, the Colts waived Sheldon Day, who, again, played with the 49ers. I could see them, you know, bring him in as well. I think additional depth at the point, this point in the season for the defensive line is a good thing. That is Akash Anavarathan. You can find him on Twitter at Akash Anav, 4 9com and the Niners Nation podcast. Akash, always a pleasure chatting with you, man. Thank you for uh, joining the show today. Of course. No, I appreciate you for having me. It's always a good time.